I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right. Big Pooh's back in the co-host chair, and our guest today is Ben Standick, who does great work writing for The Athletic and now is the host of his own podcast, Standing Room Only. Ben, how are you? Hey, uh, Doug, I'm great. Thanks uh, for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming back on again. Uh, the artwork for the Standing Room, I love that. And of course, maybe the best name in all of the podcasting is Standing Room Only. How long did it take them to convince you to do the podcast? Because I know you were not necessarily into it at first, right? No, I, I've been wanting to do a podcast forever. I, I used to, um, back in the day when I was more focused on the Wizards, I had a podcast uh, through a podcast company there, and I and I loved it. It was great. And uh, in various iterations since, I, I kept doing them. But when I got to the Athletic, uh, they already had one for the team with D'Angelo Hall. It's hard to argue uh, <laughs> to, with, 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 with that. But then when that ended after the 2019 season, uh, you know, they weren't sure what to do. And then the pandemic hit, so they kind of had a you – know, cut back on some staff and had to rearrange some things. So there wasn't really much to do. So I just kind of kept pushing forward. And um, I mean, I, I'm actually just basically kind of doing it on my own. Like it's, it's the athletic helps me a little bit on the, on, on, in a few ways, but it's mostly me pushing to do it because I just enjoy podcasts in general. And then talking things out for me helps me formulate my own thoughts rather than just sort of being stuck in my own brain. Uh, it, it's a help. So I, I enjoy it. It's a good way to communicate with people and, uh, you know, meet, have different discussions than would just be uh, otherwise. That's what I was going to ask you. What were some of the differences for you uh, or some of the things that you like or prefer when you're doing a podcast as opposed to writing? Uh, writing sucks. Uh, right, right, <laughs> right, right. Writing is a chore in your head all the time. It's, uh, you know, it, you know, the, the, you know, it's, it's much more final writing. I can say something and while obviously you don't want to sound like an idiot or whatever, um, I can come back to it. It does, the grammar doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the punctuation doesn't have to be perfect. The word choice is more acceptable if it's not necessarily spectacular, but in writing it's, the expectations I think are a bit higher. And also like, I can say something on my pod, like I don't try to say anything flippant, but like I could say something on my podcast that, may come across one way. If I take the exact same thing I say and write it, it comes across as more, I don't say harsher, but it could be harsher or more definitive or whatever the thing is. So there's more flexibility with the podcast as well. So just in general though, I mean, it's, it's, I mostly like it, like I said, to have conversations with different people, whether other beat writers or uh, people of different, uh, you know, did cover the league or cover different things. It's just a, a different way to, to talk. I mean, it's like we all talk on the side on some level, but it's like that, but now a little more, a little, a little more formal, and just try to get you know views from different people on the topics that we're all interested in. Ben is a guy who chases down uh, interviews and guests weekly. I'm always curious as to how other guys get there. Uh, you recently had Billy Bean on the GM for the Bills. Now, was that through connections you had already made? How how tough is that to track a guy like that down? Particularly that he was in the midst of a big game coming up. Uh, so that was a really big get and was also a great interview. I appreciate that. Well, so funny. So it's actually it's Brandon Bean. But the, the the funny thing is you said Billy Bean. And the amazing part is not a joke on my phone. Like I was before literally I mean, I'm going to pull it up just to prove it. 
before we were talking, oh, come on, where'd it go? Before we were talking, I swear, this is the movie that I was watching on my phone, Moneyball, which is <laughs> the Billy Bean story. So that is crazy. Um, I mean, as a reporter, part of the job is to try to um, get <laughs> various sources or things along those lines. And uh, somewhere along the way, I, I, was, I, had a, I had a contact with the Bills and I reached out because he had, um, obviously, Brandon Bean had worked in Carolina with Marty Herney. Um, and Ron Rivera. So when it became sort of the idea that he would be, that Marty Herney was coming here in some capacity, I reached out to see if it was conceivable. And, uh, you know, some people are more uh, tighter with their time than others. He seems to be a person that's open to talking. And because I guess Marty Herney had done a lot for him in his career, he was willing to talk. So I guess maybe I happen to be the first one from this market that reached out. So kind of just worked out. But yeah, he was really, he was, it, was, it was great to talk to him and uh, give some insight into what he learned from Herney, that Herney Rivera relationship, but obviously those two men want to keep going. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a fun it was a fun interview to talk to somebody like that. And yes, on the precipice of he's about to have his team in the AFC Championship game, you know, added to it. Uh, a lot of people don't understand like a lot of the nuances or the or the contact that reporters have with players and how you guys end up receiving a lot of information. So can you talk about how tough it's been? during this pandemic to connect the same way with players or front office people or whoever, um, you know, to do your stories as opposed to when you were able to probably go to the stadium or the arena and, you know, bump into guys. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're all going through this uh, pandemic and I guess, depending on how one is treating it, you know, some people are very serious about it and avoiding everything other people uh, you know crowds whatever other people maybe not as much but if you're in that mode of I'm trying to take this as seriously as possible then you can understand it because you know I know a lot of people that haven't seen their close relatives or friends for this whole time maybe depending especially if they if they live out of town and that's kind of how it is dealing with this I mean we we we, we had interaction with Ron Rivera in person before the or at the combine that was last the end of last February I want to say and I think that was more or less the last time we had any interaction with any of them in person and yeah I mean you're trying to get it's one thing to be like well I haven't seen my parents in all this time but your parents know you and you have a connection and you have a you have a bond and like so you can call them up and get to the good stuff as it were Uh, this is very different I mean you have to not, not only can I not just walk up to any player and is ask questions without interference, but now I have to go through PR to maybe even get somebody. And even if I do, it's sort of this is uh, you know over Zoom or maybe over the phone, and it's only for a few minutes. And you know, it's just you don't have any sense of the person, and vice versa. You're trying to have them know who you are, and you know, um, I haven't been I've been on the football team beat for a little bit, but things change, and I haven't you know I don't know that many guys that well. I mean, most of us don't. Um, but it just takes time. And I think also when they see you around, they understand who's there a lot, who isn't. And, and I think from that, you get some credibility and so on and so on. So yeah, it was very difficult for all of us to, to have to cover a team complete at a complete distance, other than like we could show up at a practice, watch them stretch for a little bit and, and, and do a couple things. And then that's it. And they don't, they're not really paying attention to us at that point. So yeah, de- definitely some big challenges for sure. But, you know, look, in the grand scheme of the world, it's not that big of a deal, but specific to our job. Yeah, it definitely made for, for a challenge to get a, I mean, honestly, I mean, just to use like one example, like sort of like with Dwayne Haskins, 
you know, like everybody kept asking, like, well, what do the other players in the locker room think of him? And I couldn't answer that always intelligently because I'm not in the locker room. Not that the players would always tell you, but you can see things, you can hear things, and maybe you got a better sense. We have none. We have none of that when you're not in the locker room. So, you know, you have to go off of feel, and you know, you try to if you're reporting something reported appropriately, but at the same time, it's just not the same way that, that we did before. Uh, ben, you brought him up, so let's talk about it. The front office seems to be shaping out a little bit. Uh, Two-part question there with, do we know what Herney's role will be if Mayhew is the GM? And do you know when the relationship with Rivera and Smith deteriorated? I, I was thinking back, it feels like Rhiannon Walker asked him on an update a couple of weeks ago and he was not, I think he passed it off to the tight end coach when giving some of the accolades for what had happened with the off season. And I remember asking Rannon, doesn't that seem odd? And she said at the time, well, no, cause that's just kind of what Rivera does as far as trying to find ways to, to, you know, to say other people are doing a good job. But I would suggest that at some point the relationship had to have deteriorated because he's out, right? Yeah. So on the, on the, on the Herney part, um, you know, it's, I think we still need some more, we need some more clarification as what's to happen. Uh, there's a chance that we'll be holding a press conference either later this week or the beginning of next week. Uh, it's senior bowl week. So they've got some things to do. So we'll see if we get them this week or not. Um, look, obviously it's intriguing and it's important on some level to know, okay, who's the, who's the, who's the head of personnel and who's focusing more on operations and whatever else they're doing. Ultimately, I don't think it really matters a ton in that Ron Rivera is in charge. By that, I mean these guys are reporting to him. So whatever conclusions they come up with, ultimately he can sort of kind of do what he wants. Now, I think Ron Rivera wants to be as collaborative as possible. He's talked about that repeatedly, and I think there's reason to believe it. I don't think he's like some egomaniac who's going – I mean, he believes in himself. Let me not pretend otherwise. But I don't think he's going to be like, well, it's my way or the highway. And no matter what you guys say, I'm going to do what I want. I think he wants more voices in the room. And I think clearly he wanted experience. He obviously has a long running relationship with Marty Ernie. Uh, the, the relationship with Martin Mayhew is a little more, um, with still some more clarity on that as well. Mayhew interviewed for the Carolina job in 2018, the GM job in 2018. And obviously like Rivera, he's been around the league for a long time. So I'm sure their paths have crossed. Um, and, you know, Martin Mayhew is very well respected around the league. Same with, with, with Herney. So, you know, we'll get a better sense. I would guess Herney's probably more on the personnel side, but he has a back in with, with the cap also. I think both of these guys are pretty well-rounded. So ultimately they report to Rivera. That's the biggest thing there. Um, on the Kyle Smith front. Yeah. I mean, back in March and April of last year, we were hearing that they were all, everything was soon to be pretty good. But as the season went along and when his name, Kyle Smith's name would come up, Rivera did not seem to be particularly uh, enthusiastic. He seemed to be somewhat indifferent or lukewarm. And I do think it was noticeable whenever he was saying these things. I don't think it was just coach speak um, that he did go and say, well, the tight end coach, Pete Hayner, like you mentioned, and that's the he said he was responsible for, for discovering Logan Thomas, but he seemed to, when that kind of a situation came up, sort of gave him some of that credit. Now, Look, there's a hundred different ways that you can look at the, how these things work. I don't always think it's like one person gets credit for discovering Logan Thomas or drafting Cam Curl or whatever it may be. But on some level, before it gets to the coaches, the personnel department has been scouting these players both on the pro level and the college level for some time. And ultimately, I believe the way it generally works is they present names to these people and say, hey, 
here's some names to look at. What do you think? And then from there, the coaching staff goes through the tape or, or, or what have you. And obviously, if you're in the pros, you've gone against some of these guys. So you may have a sense of them anyway. And so that Rivera sort of bypassed the scouting department and went straight to the assistant coach, I think was notable at the time. And now we're at this point. No, there's been no official announcement on anything about what's happening with the scouting department. Um, I said on my own podcast, though, recently, and I've talked about it for a while, that all our signs are pointing to Kyle Smith's days in Washington being over. And when you bring in two people to uh, jump him in the uh, organizational depth chart, that doesn't, it doesn't send a good signal, not to mention he didn't get an interview for the GM job, but Eric Stokes, who's below him as the pro personnel director, did says something else. So I don't necessarily know the relationship deteriorated, but for whatever the reason, at least not enough I could talk about, I guess, that, that, that Ron, is, Ron Rivera has decided to look elsewhere. So, um, you know, whether it's tomorrow, uh, after the draft, it, it appears by all indications that there will be changes coming to the scouting department, including with Kyle Smith. And, uh, you know, it should be noted, even though I get why people are excited or maybe, or sorry, but maybe frustrated if Kyle Smith were to leave, it is natural for new executives to come in and bring in their own people. Just like, you know, on some level, anybody in life, when you go, if you're in a management position, to some degree, you're going to want people around you that you know can do the job, but also you can trust to do the job and, and, and focus on how you envision this thing going, not necessarily how they envision it. So um, not to say that Kyle Smith and Ron Rivera weren't on the same page, but to some degree, maybe that was part of the issue, but he clearly has a relationship with Herney. He knows what he'll do. And, he, and Mayhew has a longer track record um, than, than, than Smith. And I guess he feels comfortable with that. So it's easy to sort of go down the road of blame and, and what went wrong. Maybe something did, but I ultimately, you just want people around you who you know and can trust. And Rivera clearly, I think even more than most, is uh, he, he heads in that direction. I think uh, people are more, you know, obviously they, they've they seen the, the, the past couple of drafts that Kyle has ran, but I think people are more, uh, up in arms because this just continues a long line of what we to believe young talented personnel walking out of the door of, of Washington. And I all obviously Ron Rivera is running it's a coast centric uh, front office now, but just seeing, you know, McVay uh, Shanahan, well, we knew he was out of here, but uh, Shanahan and now Kyle Smith walking out of the door and, and, it's, you know, obviously we, we're here and, and we watch this team so we see and understand what's going on here. But is, just, is this something that's common throughout the league that a lot of young talent is just walking out the door seemingly without getting a chance to, to really shine here? Well, I mean, like, so, so take, for example, Brandon Bean that we just talked about, the GM of the Bills. He's not the GM of the Panthers, where he was, and then the person he was under, Marty Herney, has been fired. Right. Marty Herney was fired twice. So um, why wasn't Brandon being the GM of the Bills? Well, at some point, somebody else came in there and the Bills or the Panthers at that time thought they had somebody. I'm sure on some level they maybe would like to have Brandon Bean back. He look, he's clearly done a good job in Buffalo, but sometimes circumstances are what they are. Like when Sean McVay was here, we can even throw Matt LaFleur into this if we want. Jay Gruden was still relatively early in his run and, you know, they had won a division title in 2015. Things seem to be on the up and up for what it's worth in Jay Gruden's five full seasons. They had, they were at least seven and nine, the same record Ron Rivera had right now, but we viewed Ron, we viewed Jay Gruden negatively 
in part because over time they only had that one division title. And then the last season, obviously things fell apart. I think we could see that kind of going into the year. Uh, but so you can't, it's not like you could say, well, they should have fired Jay Gruden and gone to Sean McVay. That's easy to say now, but at that time, that would have been kind of borderline crazy, even though Sean McVay kind of figured he might, he might do a good job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not always easy, but I think the thing that people are maybe overlooking a bit here is this prior to Ron Rivera arriving, it was, you had Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen running the show. And prior to Bruce Allen, you essentially had some combination of like, you know, Vinny Serrato and, you know, there were coaches along the way who had some of this power like Rivera did, like Mike Shanahan. But, but, um, but Dan Snyder's thumb was very much on the scale at all times. Now, I'm not remotely suggesting he's learned his lessons and he's never going to bother anybody again. At the moment, though, this, these decisions feel like a Ron Rivera show. And if you're going to buy into the idea that Ron Rivera has done a good job in his first year. Obviously, the record is what it is, but they won five of their last seven games. They did win the division. Um, the players seem to really respect and like him. There's a lot of positives coming out of this year. So if you buy into Rivera being a good move and he's the one that seems like making the decisions, then I don't, I wouldn't automatically put in Kyle Smith with those other things because it's being made by, a decision's being made by a different person. So, you know, it, it it's connected because it's this place. And like you said, we pay attention to everything that goes on here more than we do other places. But you also may have to sort of buy, if you're either in on Rivera kind of, or you're not, I think there's a reason to be in on him based on what we've seen this year. Again, not saying he's Belichick or Vince Lombardi or whatever, but, you know, uh, things, I think, on a trajectory of scale seem to be headed in a good way. And if he decides he thinks the next step is to bring in these people and change elsewhere, you kind of have to roll with it, but I think at the same time, I think Kyle Smith does have a good reputation. He'll, he'll be snatched up by somebody I would imagine immediately. And uh, you know, we'll see how his, uh, how he goes from there. Maybe they'll look back and think how stupid were they to let him go. But for right now, if you buy into Rivera and he thinks this is the way to go, you know, as long as it's not the owner pushing one way or the other, because I think that's where things have gone wrong. But if you're buying into Rivera, then, you know, you kind of just have to say, okay, well, in, 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 I'm not saying this, but people probably have to say in Ron, we trust and kind of just move on and see what happens. Uh, ben, uh, the front office has been one thing. Uh, we know the other newsworthy bit is the quarterback situation. Where do you see it heading? Do you think they'll be aggressive uh, in free agency for a quarterback? It can't be Kyle Allen to start the year out, do you think? Or is that where we're heading? Well, um, so you mentioned uh, uh, that we were just discussing sort of that we focus on this team more than we do other teams. And I think this this quarterback situation is important in that regard because everybody can sit here and say, well, obviously, <laughs> I can't go into a season with Kyle Allen. They've got to go out and get Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, pick whatever you want. But if you look around the league, there are a lot of teams right now with sort of influx at the quarterback position. And there's only so many of these interesting ones around. I just mentioned two of them. And then if you factor in the first round picks, there's probably four quarterbacks that go in the top 15, give or take. And it could be another one or two that go in the first round. But, you know, even with that, in terms of like guys to come in and, and, and be an immediate help, there's not many that year for the most part. So there's more, there's going to be a lot of teams like the Indianapolis Colts, the San Francisco 49ers, New England Patriots, Denver Broncos, maybe Carolina. Uh, and that's not teams at the bottom who need a quarterback long-term like the Jets. The, maybe the Miami Dolphins decide they made a big step up this year. Uh, they, they don't want to wait for Tua Tungo Viola. So 
it, it, it's, it's not just simple enough to say that Washington should go get somebody because obviously everybody, a lot of teams think that. To that point, I, it's pretty obvious that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner are fans of Kyle Allen. And I guess probably to some degree Taylor Heineke, but we'll have to kind of see where they are with, with, with him. It's not enough much of a sample size there, even though he did well in the playoffs. Um, I think that Kyle Allen gives them the opportunity to not panic in their head that they think that they have somebody who can play. Now you talk to most people around the league and most people say, hey, he could be a really nice backup, sort of the way Colt McCoy was, a guy when you have to plug and play for a game or two. He can come in and do some decent things and, and not and you're not feeling completely compromised. But over time, whether it's turnovers or injuries or what have you, it's just not going to work. Now, Kyle Allen is young enough that maybe you could see some growth, but it, it doesn't seem like that way. That said, they may view it differently. So it's possible Kyle Allen is the guy, either because they spent a first-round pick on a quarterback and he's the bridge, or they, they maybe try to make a play for Watson or Stafford and it didn't work out for them. And now you're looking at, just to name some names, you know, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, uh, what what have you. So um, I, I think there's definitely a world where Kyle Allen is the number one quarterback week one next year. I don't think that's necessarily the likely outcome or the, the, the desired outcome, but I think it's a possible outcome because these guys seem to believe in him. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. What's the, if, the, if the bidding starts going up significantly, say, for Stafford, how much? How many picks are you willing to trade up uh, or, or give away? I should say, in order to to secure this quarterback. You don't have a quarterback. You kind of don't have much of a chance in this league. We all get that. But at some point, there's a price for everything, and that's going to be the interesting part. Is where does that price get to, and how level? What level of need slash desperation does uh, Ron Rivera feel? Uh, ben, unless Washington obviously gets one of these upper tier quarterbacks and another playmaker or two on the outside, they're going to once again be dependent on their defense to um, keep them into games. What do you think Washington needs on the defensive side that will take them from very good this year to great next year? Yeah, I mean, I think the linebacker situation is probably the most obvious need. Rivera talks about it during the year, and, like, you know, it's kind of obvious. They don't really have a, a, a game changer there. I mean, you watch Tampa Bay in the playoffs. Um, in the game against Washington, the Bucks did not have Devin White. And, uh, you know, Washington's offense looked pretty reasonable in that game. Since Devin White's come back in the last couple of games, I mean, you can really see the difference. Now, he was the fifth pick of the draft, so I'm not saying that's an easy to go get that guy. But obviously Rivera had Luke Keekley in Carolina, again, a guy who was, I think, the ninth pick in the draft. So you can see the difference when, when you have one of those guys out there. And we, you know, between John Bostic, Cole Holcomb, you know, they, they have some guys, but they don't have that guy. And I think that's what they're missing for sure. I think Cole Holcomb is interesting, um, but they need more there. So if, that's, if they keep the first-round pick at 19, to me, that would be the something to strongly – consider for for sure and beyond that uh you know it'll be interesting to see what they do at safety landon collins he'll be back next year presumably from his achilles injury and you're not getting rid of him because of his contract and also in theory he's a good player cam curl had a really good year obviously coming in uh and replacing him but he was playing more strong safety he does have some corner ability so i wonder if he can play free safety i think that's interesting if not if they view him more as like a big nickel that then then maybe um, you have to go out and get a free safety. And then, of course, if Ronald Darby stays, then between Darby and Fuller, you're 
looking solid at corner based on what we saw this year. But if Darby leaves in free agency, then you have to go out and figure out a corner as, as well. So those are probably the biggest things on defense that they have to get to. And I think also just overall consistency. I know their rankings, statistical rankings were pretty good this year, but the eye test, I mean, just, I'd never, I didn't often think to myself, I'm watching a top 10 defense. They looked like a top 10 defense against Nick Mullins and the Bengals backup quarterback and the JMU quarterback that Dallas had in the first meeting and against teams with really bad offensive lines because of injuries. But you know, Tom Brady went for 500 yards against him. I'm, I'm, it's Tom Brady. I get it. But like, it wasn't like they were much of, it wasn't like they were doing much resistance in that game. And there were other times where, you know, opposing defenses, especially on the ground, could run as needed. That's where I think the linebacker will help. But, you know, even with the defensive line, more consistency across the board. But linebacker, free safety in particular, I think are areas that they're going to have to uh, address. Uh, ben, are you in the mood for spending $15 million a year on guards? Do you think we'll have the big man back next year or that's a lot to put into one spot on the offensive line? I'm always in the mood to spend $15 million if somebody wants to give me that, give me that <laughs> access. Uh, that would be amazing to know what that would be like. Uh, to, I'd like to go to Vegas if I had that in, in, in normal times, if I've got the 15 million to uh, play with. Um, look, I think, on some level, $15 million a year for a guard is not an ideal way to build a team. However, I think in this case, it's probably something they're going to, quote, unquote, have to do. You already – Trent Williams, obviously, they moved on from him last year. Brandon Sheriff, you know, whether he's an, actually it was an all-pro this year guard, I don't know, debatable. Those things are somewhat random. But, you know, he's obviously one of the better guards in the league. And I think one key is – they're not spending big dollars at left tackle at this point. Uh, you know, they had Cornelius Lucas finish the season there. He's not making much money. If Sadiq Charles comes in after basically a redshirt rookie season and he's able to contribute there, then, you know, that's a guy on a rookie contract who's not going to cost you a ton of money. And, you know, you're not paying West Schweitzer crazy money. You are paying good money now to, to the center, Chase. Is that, is that the plan with Charles to eventually to go to tackle? They were working to make guard before he got hurt, right? Yeah, they were. Uh, I mean, I think it's conceivable at either spot, but I mean, West Weitzer did a solid job and I think they just have to decide, you know, do they rather have Charles, uh, City Charles and, and Schweitzer where they, they like Lucas and, and Charles. I think, I think Charles's potential is, is kind of an either spot. And I mean, look, you, whether, even if it's a guard, he's still on the rookie deal and you have, and Charles, you know, I'm not saying you can't upgrade there, but he wasn't terrible. You can't have, you know, pro, you can't have pro bowlers all over the place. So I'm just saying, if you're going to, if they're not going to spend a ton of money on the left side, then spending it at, at guard for sure can, you know, is fine. I just don't think you can't spend it five spots across the line. They wouldn't be, they would really only be spending it at three. So that's what I'm saying. I think realistically you can and probably have to keep him um, because if you don't, I mean, you, maybe you plug, you know, Schweitzer to the right side, Charles to the left, but now, you know, it's a lot more inexperience and, you know, uncertainty along the line. And to me, you do have to have a strong offensive line much more so than like, amazing skill players. If you don't have a line, you really don't have much of anything. Um, for the past couple of seasons, Washington has got away from the uh, off-season championship um, <laughs> on paper. Uh, do you see kind of the changing of guard in the front office? Um, not necessarily going back to the days of spending, overspending on Deion Sanders or, you know, Dan Wilkerson or uh, Albert Hainsworth. Uh, but do you see them having an uptick in spending uh, this offseason, uh, knowing how close they are to being 
more competitive than what they probably initially thought they were going to be going into uh, the season? I mean, they have um, they have money more than most teams, and they'll be in a decent position, maybe even to get some guys at a reduced rate because, you know, there's not – like they have about right now about around $35 million available. That's before uh, possibly releasing Alex Smith and generating another $14, 15000000 Uh so they have an opportunity to make some moves that other teams don't. Like, for example, the New Orleans Saints are $100 million over the cap, which is, I don't even understand how that math works. Uh, but Washington has around $35 million to spend. So it's a combination of, like, you don't want to just go and spend willy-nilly. I've used this, used this example before. I don't know how much you guys pay attention to the Wizards. Um, but in the summer of 2016, the Wizards had some money to, to spend. And this was when John Wall and Bradley Beal were starting to come into their own. And they made, a, this was the year they were making a big play for Kevin Durant and he blew them off. Then they went all in to try to get Al Horford. And it was supposedly between the Celtics and the Wizards. Horford picked Boston. Okay, it didn't work out. But instead of saying, okay, now what do we do? We don't have to spend the money. They said, no, screw it. We're going all in. We're just going to spend the money. And they gave Jan Mahimi a four-year, $64 million contract, which was, forget the fact how it turned out. In the moment, it was an awful trade, awful uh, deal. Then they signed Andrew Nicholson to a, a four-year contract. They signed Jason Smith to a three-year contract. And all these deals hamstrung them for the next several years, not even, again, because these guys were not worth the money, which they largely weren't, but because they just spent the money. You didn't have to do that, and it, it put them back. So Washington doesn't have to go crazy, but at the same point, they do have an opportunity here to make some moves that other teams do not. Um, again, we talked about some of these upcoming free agents they can also use that money to extend some of their own guys and keep them in the fold so i think there's reasonable ways that they can spend the money but it's like i said it's just not about being crazy and by the way to use a good example for them is last year they went all in to try to get amari cooper apparently you know an offer of over 100 million dollars you know comparable if not even a little bit more than what the cowboys offered of state taxes and all that kind of stuff maybe it's about the same but in any event um, obviously Cooper stayed with Dallas, but they didn't then take that money and just give it to somebody else on the receiver list. It's like, okay, we thought that guy was worth it. We don't think anybody else is. So we'll pocket this and see what happens. If you keep that approach, uh, you know, then they can both, there's room to spend, but also not, not, they're not going to just run out and make the Mahimi type mistake. Uh, that the Wizards made. So um, I think they could absolutely spend for sure, but they've at least shown some restraint last year, which is a good sign as well. All right, Ben, you brought up the Wizards. Westbrook, I thought it was going to be a month for Westbrook. He was back out there on, on one wheel last night. What, what, is, what, what happened with the timeline? Because I really thought it was three or four weeks, and I think he sat a week due to COVID. They weren't playing games anyway. Do we know anything more there? What, what's going on with Westbrook? Because if that's all he's got to offer, they're in more trouble than we thought, right? Right. Um, there's a couple of things there. So one, yeah, I mean, it was a report about three to four weeks, but to be honest, it was something that, you know, I was told pretty quickly. It was not the case. Uh, I talked about it on my podcast, my Fred Katz, our wizards reporter, we talked about it on his podcast that he, that Westbrook needed, needed some rest with his quad injury. He clearly has not looked explosive. Um, and the belief was that, um, get some treatment, get some rest and then come back. And obviously, like you said, the whole, uh, situation with them with COVID they haven't been able to play games or practice has really kind of thrown off thrown a lot of things off so they couldn't get Westbrook out there to see so um, I, I think that three to four week timeline was just overstated from the start and not an actual uh not 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 not, not reality for the way the Wizards saw it and like you said Westbrook actually played yesterday now to the point that he didn't look that good 
that to me is the larger question because um, it's one thing to say he's he's dealing with a quad injury and you know some rest will help. Maybe it still will. But if he looks like this and it continues to look like this, then you have to ask the question, wait, has Russell Westbrook run out of gas? The type of athlete that he is, it is, you know, it could be one day a very precipitous drop because so much of his game is based on athleticism. Um, and as opposed to, you know, he's not a good shooter, you know, things like that. He's not a classic pass first point guard. He gets his, he gets his production off, off explosive uh, drives up and down the court and just being ultra aggressive. So it's a little concerning that he did look, but he kind of looked back last night. I didn't watch a ton of the game because it was going opposite the uh, football, but I saw a little bit and just, you know, keep seeing what other people were, were talking about. And yeah, not, 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 not great. So there is some concern for sure. I'm not going to panic yet, but yes, if he, if sooner than later, he doesn't start looking like the guy we've seen throughout his career, you know, making, you know, uh, aggressive plays to the basket. There's a, there's real concern. He's got, you know, this year plus two more years left making a ton of money. Um, part of the reason you trade John Wall is because you weren't sure where he was going to be like, and he was making, he had, you know, three years plus a lot of money. This would be very unfortunate if Westbrook looks like he's run out of gas again, not saying we're there yet, but that's the concern for me now. Uh, how long does it take for him to get back to some sign that we're uh, some, some form that we're used to, or can he get back at all? I know uh, fans are going to, you know, be in my mentions for saying this, but do we trade Bill by the trade deadline <laughs> or do the Wizards wait until the offseason to, to to trade Bill and really start this rebuild once uh, they, they have a chance to really start fresh with new coaching staff and everything and probably another uh, nice lottery pick? So this is the problem, right? The idea of trading Beal and starting fresh. Can you start fresh, really, though? Westbrook's still here. So it's not like you can just all of a sudden say, well, we have this one guy left, and then if we trade him, we, we, we have just a bunch of kids and we're kind of starting over. I don't think Russell Westbrook's going to sit there and say, wait, we're rebuilding? I'm not accepting that. I think this is part of this was the, this was the issue you had with John Wall as well, that um, it was the same type of issue. At least the theory was if you trade Wall for Westbrook, you're getting the better player currently and a guy who really, you know, um, you know, tries very hard. It's a good example and things like that. Um, this version of Westbrook that we just discussed, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of him. So it's, it's confusing. Um, and as far as Beal goes, you know, ultimately it comes down to what are the other offers out there on some level, but at the same time, if you're the wizards, there's not a lot of interest in this team. We, we know, so what are you, if you're trading Bradley Beal, who has been everything you could possibly want out of, a, out of that kind of a pick, he gets better every year. He's turned into a leader. He's clearly one of the best, you know, I don't know how, how to qualify, one of the best 20 players in the league, wherever he fits. Um, you know, he, he's just been incredible this year when they've been able to play, <laughs> which has not been enough. But um, so if you trade him, then what? Like, what are you, where are you at at that point? I guess, again, it depends on what, what you're telling me you're getting with these picks. Can you get James Wiseman from Golden State? And some draft picks. I mean, he's interesting, but he's also a puppy. Uh, you know, are you getting uh, Michael Porter Jr. from Denver? He's had he's had back issues throughout his career. He's getting close to getting to being extension eligible. Eligible, so you know you have to pay him out soon. So uh, it's easy to say trade Beal and move on. Beal's also what is he? Twenty seven. It's not like he's old. He's in the prime. He's playing great. I, and, and like I said, the reality is, where, where are you going with the Wizards? I'm not saying you're going anywhere necessarily with him. But go without him, I don't know what am I tuning in to watch for. What's the interest? I get young players, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think it's easy to say just get rid of him, and maybe maybe they should. But you got to tell me what the offers are. 
you know, if I'm getting, if I'm just getting some draft picks, I don't know. I don't think that I'm as intrigued anymore. If I'm getting a tangible young player who's already shown to be interesting and some picks, that gets me a little more interested. But um, I'm not all, I'm not there yet in terms of getting rid of him. But I, but by, by, to your point, I want to know who the coach is next year. Also, I mean, I don't believe Scott Brooks will be back. I wouldn't think. So who's the coach and what's the plan? Also, we don't know for sure if Tommy Shepard would be back. I'm not saying that's. I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, we don't know what his exact future is. So that's important too, right? Who, who's making the call? Maybe you want to let, if there is a next people, let the next people make the call on Beal. Uh, that, that would be something to consider for sure. I think I've come come around more. I, I, I want to wait to the off season, but I, I believe that um, watching the New York Knicks, for example, I watched a little bit of their game last night and they have pretty much the same roster of players but for Tom Thibodeau, they play harder. <laughs> they play a different style of basketball. They actually try. It's not the New York Knicks of the past five, six seasons. So, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like, let's see what a new coaching staff brings. But this is Ted Leonsis. And he allowed Ernie Grunfeld to have the Godfather deal and, you know, run, you know, run the organization rap shot. So, uh I think the trading bill thing, obviously, like you said, like what are you bringing back in the trade for bill? What is this doing for your organization? But it's just one of the things, you know, his deal is, you know, he'll have a year left on his deal this off season. And we've watched not just with this team, but many other teams, players in bills of bill stature, just leave for nothing. And it's like the wizards will be left holding the bag with a, with a Russell Westbrook on one leg and no gas and, uh, Bradley Bill walking out the door and still a bunch of young pups. So um, just trying to get an idea of what people that know more than I know, <laughs> how they view the situation. Well, and well, is Brad one of the, is Brad going to force his way out? Is he, has he made it seem like if things don't shape up in the right way that it won't be up to the team? Cause in, you know, in, in the current NBA, it's not necessarily up to the team most of the time anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's really given any, any sense of, of, of wanting out. In fact, it's been the opposite. He's talked about wanting to stay, and I think that can't be discounted either because that's not been the case here. And, and like I said, look, I think there's – look, here's the reality, I guess. The if, if everybody's viewing it as like, well, what do they have to do to win a title? There's a lot more they have to do than just simply what they do with Bradley Beal. There has to be a bigger commitment from the top down to get this thing done. I mean, the Wizards were like – the next to last team in the league to get a G League team. They, they don't necessarily spend on assistant coaches or ancillary staff at the same rate as other people. Uh, the, the, the practice facility is better than what they have. It's also where it is in, 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 the, in the district away from their own facility, in part because the city was willing to um, pay most of it versus the team, which isn't to say that that's necessarily bad for the team. It's to say, some teams make a bigger financial commitment to actually winning a title than, than, than the Wizards have, which I'm not saying Ted Leonsis doesn't want to. I'm just saying it isn't just simply, well, trade Beal, get younger guys, and then here we go. I just think that Bradley Beal gives you an opportunity to be competitive, to, be, to, 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 to give you something to pay attention to, and just simply going to get young players. It's, it's the myth. It's the dream. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes you get a guy who turns into the next thing, and that's the lottery ticket everybody's hoping for, but 
a lot of times those things don't work out. And, uh, you know, oftentimes they don't work out. That's why we see the same teams over and over again at the bottom. Now, some of that is also because of the management of those teams, <laughs> that if you have good management and smart people running your organization, that helps elevate the situation uh, for sure. But um, that's part of the equation they have to determine. Like, I think Tommy Shepard has done a reasonable job with Washington for sure. At the same time, Ted Leonsa spent months looking, supposedly looking for somebody and ultimately hired the guy down the hall. So uh, you got to tell me what their, what their plan is from the top down um, before it's like, we, you know, we sort of focused, I think we probably focused too much on like, what do you do with Beal? It's important for sure, but other things have to change before, whether you keep Beal, whether you get rid of Beal before I would sit there and go, Oh yeah, here comes a team on the rise. Uh, I've seen this game before with them and uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going in until we see a different commitment probably from the organization, but just, what, I need to know who's in charge right now. We don't quite know that. Who will be in charge long, long term? Um, we we asked uh, previous guest Troy Halliburton about this. I, I just want to get your uh, opinion on it. Uh, are you hearing anything about possibly Masai Ujiri uh, coming over to Washington, uh, well, I guess, in the offseason this summer? What did Troy say? <laughs> Troy said, Troy yeah, said he's been – yeah, he said he's been laying out bad crumbs, but it's definitely mutual interest on both sides. Got it. Um, well, I mean, if you go back, uh, when did Toronto win the title? What year was that? 20, uh, uh, two years ago. Yeah, I can't keep track of anything. Uh, so at that time, I was the one reporting and breaking the news on the idea that, um, or others were a little bit too, but I was the one sort of more out front on the idea that the Wizards were making a push for Masai Ujiri. And I talked to people close to the situation who said that there was, you know, some interest there. And obviously Ted Leonsis ultimately pushed back on that at the end when, uh, when things kind of blew up uh, for all kinds of reasons, maybe tampering, maybe he just kind of knew it wasn't happening and didn't want to be embarrassed or whatever. And I don't have any reason to think that it couldn't conceivably happen down the line. I don't think Masai Ujiri assigned some 10 year contract in Toronto. Um, so it's, you know, it's absolutely conceivable that he could leave. Um, Look, I would just say this, that <clears throat> the idea of what anybody hears, I don't know. I mean, you can hear all kinds of shit. Am I allowed to curse? Sorry. I mean, you can hear all kinds of stuff <laughs> and we'll, 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 we'll see. I mean, it's titillating and it's fun to consider and all that. But, you know, like I said before, it's easy to talk and say you're going to want to go get a guy like Messiah here. They also wanted to go get Tim Connolly, who obviously has proven to be a pretty good GM with Denver. And my understanding is that after having talked to Tim Connolly, a guy who worked for the Wizards uh, previously and all that, that the offer they made to him wasn't close enough to, to, to sway him to leave a pretty good situation in Denver. So if you're not going, you can talk to these people and you can make googly eyes and the other guys could say, I'm interested. But what does that mean? Where is the commitment there or not? So, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, we can all sort of say, yeah, sure. I mean, there's some, there's some to that and why not? But, I, you know what any of that means. And, and also, you know, you got to know who, 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 who people are talking to and all that stuff. So sure. But I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, who I think, I think Troy was talking about, it would take 10 years, 80 million and, and points in the company, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Some ownership or a big financial commitment. <laughs> sure. Well, like I said, that's what I, I mean, that's essentially what I reported two years ago, the idea of, 
making him overseeing stuff and there could be some ownership or whatever it was. So like I said, Masai Jiri is going to have plenty of suitors. So it's not like the Wizards will be the only one. If they don't come strong to the, if they don't go strong to the rim, they can talk about it all they want. They're not going to get it done. Are they going to, are they going to make the move to do it? Sure. But again, we're so far removed from that. Uh, who knows, who knows where the, who knows what the world, I mean, look, obviously we're dealing with this pandemic that nobody could have predicted. Who knows what the world will look like in a month, let alone, you know, the off season. Uh, so who, who knows? Uh, ben, quick before we let you go and appreciate the time today. Are you got the senior bowls coming up, the combines coming up? Or what do you are you guys still doing that? Are people allowed at the combine and the senior bowl? How's that going to work this year with the with the all star games in the combine? Sure. And by the way, just to be clear, like if other people said they heard stuff from Masai, I mean, sure. I mean, I'm not. I, I you know, what do I know? If they, they, people hear all kinds of things. I'm not questioning if they heard it. They heard it. I'm just saying for me, like it's too far out to be going crazy over some of these things. Um, yeah, uh, we can go to the senior bowl. I am not going. I'm not, I have not been on a plane in since March and not looking to go to Alabama to watch a bunch of guys. I can't even really be around in any real way. It's, it's just like going to be the season. Yeah, everything's at a distance and all that stuff. So um, I, I have no real idea as to what. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm not going to that. And the combine is, is not happening. Uh, they're just doing pro days at different teams, places. So, um, okay. yeah, it's, not, it's, it's a bummer because I like, I like doing some of that stuff. But right. uh, yeah, unfortunately, not not going to be in the bag this year. The uh, the athletics got uh, some kind of subscription deal going on, right? A five year anniversary or something like that. I'm curious about that, and then what you got coming up on the podcast? Oh, I think it's a contest of some sort. I didn't. I I saw it. I mean, I, I think if you I don't know retweeted or it's on Twitter. I tweeted at or I, honestly I, I forgot. But it's basically, it's some sort of a contest. Uh, you can they're they're giving out a five year uh, subscription or multiple five year subscriptions because it's our five year anniversary, uh, which is crazy. Uh, I mean, I haven't been there five years, but you know, pretty pretty cool all the same. Uh, so yeah, so that said, there's always uh, some kind of a a deal if you're not a member yet. And if you go to click on any of my articles, I have a new one up about. Um, uh, I interviewed Quincy Avery, who's like sort of quarterback coach of the stars for guys like Deshaun Watson, Dwayne yeah. Haskins. Um, he's working with Trey Lance, the North Dakota State kid who's going to be a first round pick. Um, all that, uh, you know, it talks about him. So if you do that, if you click on if you click on that link, I suspect there'll be some sort of a discount. It could be 40 percent. Don't quote me. I'm not sure. Things change. Um, but you can do that. And that would be great. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, I mentioned Quincy Avery. I'm going to have that full interview up on the up on the podcast this week. And, uh, you know, there's always more to discuss, obviously, front office changes, all this Matthew Stafford uh, fun talk and just, you know, the senior bowl this week. So there's plenty to get into um, for sure. So we'll do that. Thank Man, you for your time, your time today. Yeah, no guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good luck out there and stay safe. You all do right. the same.